That's what we need to have the name of Jesus glorified throughout all of the earth. In fact, uh, Jesus, even when he taught us to pray, the first thing he said was, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus is used as a cuss word, a byword, a filthy word. And uh, that's why it's wonderful when we can gather like we do tonight to sing praise to his name. And that's the way our lives ought to be lived. I want us to look for a few moments uh, in Psalm 21, the next set of verses. And I uh, titled it kind of strange, How to Think About the Lost and uh, Motivation for Prayer and Witnessing. I think a lot of times people, the people of God are not all that motivated to witness. And we're not all that motivated to pray. In fact, lost people just kind of get in our way. And they're messing up our world. They're messing up our families. They're messing up our nation. They're messing up our institutions. And we could go on and on and on like that. But God never called us to be mad at them. And he never called us to give a message, we're sick and tired of you. Well, then why did David do it in here? Well, let's keep everything in context. And there's kind of an immediate context here. And that is, David's a king. David's a head of a state. David is the commander-in-chief. David has a responsibility of protecting the nation. And Rush Limbaugh used to say, the uh, function of the military is two things. Kill people and break things. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And that's all David is focused on. Get rid of my enemies. Make Israel so blessed by you that they are like an oven and when the enemy comes and they attack us, may it be like they're going into a kiln, into an oven. May they be utterly wiped out. May they be brought to the place where we don't have to worry about them anymore. Now, if you think of it like that, if you were David and you're responsible for the welfare of the nation, the protection of the nation, and all of that against all of these enemies, Israel has always had a lot of enemies, well, you could see that. That's, that's what a king is supposed to do, and that's what he is to pray for. But it gives me a little bit of a problem when I have my Lord say to me and to us, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you, so forth and so on, right? So how am I supposed to look at this? Because I'm not a king, and I don't have that responsibility, and I'm not the commander-in-chief. What am I supposed to do, and how am I supposed to think about all of this? And that's why you have that piece of paper tonight. We're going to ask you to do something about uh, what we find in this uh, particular lesson tonight. And so we... Uh, Think about David, and, and we can see what it is that he wants. And we also have to remember our battles are not physical battles like David's were. I, our battles are not against flesh and blood like David's were. He could see flesh and blood, people with swords, shields, spears, chariots, all of that kind of thing. And they're coming after you, and you're going after them, and there's a tremendous clash when the two forces meet. And uh, boy, it's bloody, and it is gory, and it is hand-to-hand -hand combat. But uh, we don't actually see that in our lives. Our warfare is a little bit different, a lot different, because Paul said that we are to stand strong in the Lord, in the power of His might. We're to have spiritual armor on, and we are to be ready at all times. 
and we fight against spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. It's completely different, which means then that the way we look at people is going to be different for us than it was for David. So we don't go out and drive around our neighborhood and, and uh, let's say we feel impressed to pray. Okay, I'm going to pray for my enemies. Oh God, I pray you strike them all with cancer. I pray, Lord, that you give them all AIDS. I pray that you would just wipe them out. I pray that everything would go wrong in their life. They'd lose their health. They'd lose their business. I pray they'd lose their marriage, their family, everything. Just wipe them out because they're messing up our world. Now, that doesn't even feel right, does it? And yet sometimes you look in the Old Testament and it seems like in the Psalms, particularly the imprecatory Psalms, they kind of prayed that way. But all of this is supposed to be within the will of God for the glory of God, for God to get the most glory. How does God get the most glory out of the life that we live? And, and it's not by us going to uh, war against uh, politicians and entertainers and athletes and liberal churches. It's not us going to war against people who disagree with us on homosexuality or abortion or anything like that. Now, there's some nuts who try to do that, but they take these verses completely out of context. This was David's words at David's time for David's responsibility. We don't live in that world. And so what do we do when we look at these things? Well, I... uh, Look at, um, let's see, uh, the verse that we're uh, coming to. Let me catch up to it real quick. And uh, think about how the, uh, uh, the, the thinking needs to be when we take a, a New Testament look at an Old Testament set of verses. Okay, And um, the Bible says, if we go down to uh, chapter 21, verse 10... Uh, is something kind of strange. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth. That's pleasant, isn't it? And their destruction from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. That's who they're really fighting against. And they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Now, therefore, you will make them turn uh, their back, and you will make ready your arrows. Now, this is interesting. On your string, look at this, toward their faces. This is what the Lord's doing. And then he ends up with this cheerful note Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Uh, for us, that's weird. Get them, God, and then let's have a praise fest. Here, you know, we don't really think like that. But if we will think of it by what the New Testament tells us and understand that because we cannot literally apply these verses to us because we're not in the position that David was in, we're not in that situation, but what situation are we in and how should we think about lost people and how should we be motivated to witness and to... uh, Pray for them. Now, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 11, uh, it says, this is God speaking, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, now listen to this, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, 
but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? And that's specifically written to, remember when the kingdom split, the southern kingdom was Judah, the northern kingdom was Israel. Why are you going to continue in your way and die, he's saying to that wicked northern kingdom. But I find it uh, interesting in there that God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I take that that neither should we. And we should not be thinking about all of those people out there. I wish the Lord would do something. People say, how could a loving God allow evil to continue? Do you know how many dead people there would be on earth today if God stopped all evil in its tracks? Do you realize how uh, the earth would come to a screeching halt because there's evil done continually in the uh, world today. And the Lord is kind, He's merciful, and He is gracious as He allows people to continue to live. Because you remember that this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. But for those who are lost, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. And God is kind and merciful to let them have a brief period of love, prosperity, enjoyment, blessing, peace, those kind of things. And that's why he doesn't just wipe them out uh, all together all at one time. The earth couldn't stand it, I don't think. We wouldn't know what to do with it either. But when we read these verses, when you... Uh, Think about the, the very first part of it in verse 10. Why should we witness? Why should we pray? Why should we be motivated? How should we look at these people? Well, here's number one. Their time is limited, according to verse 10. Now, when we think about their offspring, you shall destroy from the earth. It sounds gruesome, but the truth is, whether their offspring die at the age of one, which is a horrible thing, or if they die at the age of a hundred, that's a horrible thing too because they're going to die and they're going to be separated from God. And sometimes we read these verses, well, why would God do that and why would anybody kill them? Everybody is going to die sometime. That's just a fact of life because all of us are sinners. And he says also, and their descendants uh, from among the sons of men. In other words, David was saying, I would just as soon not have any of these Philistines or Amorites or any of those. I'd just soon not have any of them. I wish you would just wipe them out and make sure they don't have any children and make sure that there's never another person like that and we never have to fight that kind of battle again. But for us, as we look around at the lost world, we're not saying God wipe them out. Our prayer is God save them. And God use us to spread the gospel to them. And why? Because time is limited. And when we read this, we read about the death and the destruction of these people. And then we stop and we realize, but that's always been the case. Every evil person is going to die. And every righteous person is also going to die. Evil and evildoers only last so long. So here's what we have to think about. Lives... And even dynasties, they, they end at some point, but so do our lives. So when I think about the fact that there are people that you and I are supposed to witness to, and we're commanded to witness to them, 
And uh, we need to be intentional about witnessing to them. And even if they're people that are related to us or people that we like, people that are next door neighbors, uh, people that we work with, people that we get along well with, we still need to tell them about Jesus as well as the hell's angels and all of those kind of things too. Why? Because none of them are going to live forever. And sometimes we have this idea, well, I'm going to get better about that, and I'm going to talk to old Joe this next week. You don't know that you have a next week, do you? And it might not be that Joe dies. You might. Right? And the moment you breathe your last breath, your opportunity for obeying God and carrying out the Great Commission ends. It's over. There are no lost people to witness to in heaven. Yeah, you're going to go to heaven. Yeah, it'll be great. And yeah, you'll be with all the saints of all the ages. But you will always be thinking about nobody there to share Jesus with. Nobody there to witness to. You see, you have to do it now. While you're on earth, sinners on this earth like us are to share the good news of Christ while we were on this earth and while they are on earth the earth as well so i want you to think about that idea of limited time hebrews 9 27 says and you know this verse and it is appointed for men to die once appointed for them to die it's not just that they're randomly going to die they have an appointment with it and after this the judgment so can i ask you do you care about that do you care that your lost friends, family members, neighbors are going to die and then they're going to face judgment? Because you know how that's going to go. You know your Bible. And so we need to be intentional because we don't have forever to get this done. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long they are going to live. And so we need to have a divine urgency in all of this. Now secondly, how are we to look at them and what is it that motivates us to witness and to pray? Because number two, we know one thing, they are guilty before God. Nobody is in neutral. Nobody is in neutral. Nobody is just walking around saying, ah, I could take it or leave it, and I'm not really good, and I'm not really bad either. Nobody's like that. Jesus put it this way. If they are not for me, they are, anybody remember? Against me. I mean, that is telling us very clearly here, we cannot mess around with all of this because there's only one way to get right with God, and that is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and putting your faith in Him as the only payment for sin. It's not about going to church, even though I recommend it. It's not about living a moral life, even though I, I do agree we could use a lot of cleanup in our culture, but that's not really where it is found they're guilty before god and verse 11 says they intended evil against you in the book of philippians chapter 3 it says for many walk of whom um, we have told you and and notice what it says down at the last part of that verse who are enemies of the cross of christ now, they may not say they're enemies, they may not think they're enemies, but that's exactly what the Bible says. So we're living on enemy territory, and we're living with people that are going the wrong way. They're on the broad road leading to destruction, and they're all coming this way. We are on the narrow road. We're going upstream against them, and they're enemies of the cross. Well, are they really enemies of the cross? Well, they are, or they would uh, believe the cross. 
They are or they would trust Christ. They are or they wouldn't try to do it on their own. They wouldn't try to do it through morality or religion or anything like that. So everybody that is not saved is considered an enemy. And one of the things that is great about the scripture is the gospel is the gospel of peace. So the moment somebody believes the good news, they repent of their sins and put their faith in trust, then immediately hostility between them and God ceases. And they're on the same side. Now, of course, peace with God is different than having the peace of God. That's only for believers. But lost people can experience peace with God. Thirdly, you'll notice here in the last part of 11 that uh, these people that we are, are looking at are powerless. Why, why can't they do better? Why can't they fix things? And um, it says they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. That is the lost person's life. I'm going to do better. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to get a new start. I can't wait till January 1st. I'm going to make resolutions. Boy, 2024 is going to be a different year. And they're never able to pull it off. You know why? They're powerless to do that. They're powerless. It's like um, it says in the Old Testament, can a leopard change its spots? Well, no. A leopard is powerless to change his spots. And the same thing is true. A lost person cannot change their depravity. They cannot turn over that new leaf. They need a new birth is what they need, not a new leaf. We already know what Adam and Eve, they tried the leaf thing, and that didn't work out well at all, did it? And that's the way all of your lost family members, friends, and neighbors, all of those people, they're trying their best to be better, to improve themselves to cover themselves, to mask themselves, to uh, try to be better, try to be nicer, try a little bit harder, but they are powerless to get right with God. They're powerless to have their soul cleansed. There's only one person who can do that, and that is Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Answer it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we forget that. We act like it's not true. We act like if they would just make better decisions, if they would join a different political party, if they would come be a part of our church, if they would get their moral situation fixed out and think like we do, value what we do, then everything would be great. Well, they would still go to hell. Moral people go to hell all the time. Religious people, church people go to hell all the time. Think about what Jesus said about the Pharisees even. And they were the best that the Jews had to offer. And yet they weren't born again. And they were still stained in sin because they were powerless. As hard as they would try, they were powerless to try to fix anything. In uh, Psalm 24, it uh, asks the question, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Well, that's a good question. Because there are a lot of us who would like to. There are a lot of us that we would like to die and then we would like to be in the presence of the Lord. And it says, Or who may stand in, the holy, in his holy place? Well, I'd like to. You'd like to. A lot of people in this world would like to. And then it tells us who in verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, how many of us can say that that would describe us? 
In fact, we come here and the reason we're members of this church and the, the reason that we have made a profession of faith is because our confession is we don't have a clean heart and we don't have clean hands and we're a bunch of mess-ups. So if anybody thinks that they could come here on a uh, Wednesday night, people must be the best people in the church, right? No. We're a bunch of mess-ups. Amen or oh me? We are sinners saved by the grace of God. We don't come here to proclaim our own goodness. And we don't tell other people, you just need to be like us. Come to our church and be like us. What, what hope is there in that? And where is the, the uh, peace in that? Because that doesn't get you right with God. The only way you can get into the presence of the Lord is to have clean hands and a clean heart. In other words, you've got to be clean on the inside and you've got to be clean on the outside where everybody can see it. Well, how in the world does that happen? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, he took our sin, he paid for it, and then in his resurrection, he gave us his righteousness. So you have clean hands and a clean heart, not by anything that you did, but because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you qualify here. You say, well, technically that's not me, it's Jesus. Okay, you're right. But that's what the Father accepts, the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. And so when we think about uh, the message that we have, we think about Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For when we were still... Without strength, no power. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In due time means just at the right time. So here's the deal. We look around at people and we go, what's wrong with them? Why are they strung out on drugs? Why are they uh, addicted to alcohol? Why are they on to pornography? Why do they live such perverted lives of debauchery? Why the drugs? Why all of that stuff? Why do they have such a foul mouth? You know, even Isaiah, when he stood in the presence of the Lord, I'm an unclean man and I come from a generation uh, of people with unclean lips, right? Foul mouths, all of that kind of stuff. So what's the hope? Come to church and try harder, do better, cross your fingers. Uh, I was going to knock on this, but this isn't wood. Knock on wood. Is that the best we've got? Or do we have a message that says you can be born again and you can be clean in the sight of God and it's not by any ritual that you go through. It is by the grace of God and the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's a better message, a much better message. Let's not settle for anything else. That's how we look at people. They are powerless they're dead in their trespasses and sins. And number four, we need to think about this. They will face God. Can you imagine facing God? It says, uh, therefore, you will make them turn their back. Okay. Now, they're running from God when this is happening. So if you're running from God and you turn your back, what are you doing now? You're facing him. And notice here, David even says, and when you put your arrows in your bowstring, you're pulling them back, 
And what do you do? You call them to turn around because God doesn't ambush you and shoot you in the back. You face him. You face him and give an account for your sins. In the book of Revelation, it says the dead are going to be called up and they're going to stand before God and books are going to be open and everything's going to be exposed. It's not some little thing that's done behind the back. They're not trumped up charges. It's not anything like that at all. It's not political or any of that type of thing. You will face God. And the people you love who don't know Christ will face God. They will stand before Him. I don't know about you, that's a motivation to pray for them. That's a frightening thing because they're not ready for that. And they don't know what it is that they're going to face, the fierceness and the wrath of God. And God is going to call them out and He's going to arrest them and He is going to make them face Him. And uh, He is going to do everything up front and right there in their face. That's why he said in Amos chapter 4, verse 12. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. Sounds better in the King James, doesn't it? Prepare to meet thy God. Sounds more official, doesn't it? Well, that's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to meet God. Everybody's going to stand before him. Are they ready? No. How do they get ready? Through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prepare to meet your God. They're going to face Him. You need to think about that with your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your work associates. Everywhere you go, these people can't do anything about their situation, but they will face God and give an account to Him. Does that send chills up and down your spine? And there's no hope. No hope at all on any of that unless they repent and believe and then notice this last thing and we'll be through when we witness and when we pray remember jesus told us pray for our enemies he also told us that we are to see the harvest and we're to pray that the lord would send laborers into his harvest we are told to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven all those kind of things. We need to be praying that. And David ends by saying, Be exalted, O Lord. Be exalted, O Lord. Why do you witness? Well, I don't want people to go to hell. I don't either. But that's not the best reason to witness. Why do you witness? Because I think they could have a better life. I want them to have a better life too. But that's not the main reason that we would witness. Well, I want people to come to church. I want to see them baptized. I do too. I do too. Grieves me that we're not baptizing people right now. Grieves me that we have any empty space in our building. It's never enough. We want to reach people and we want to see them learning the word of God, growing in Christ and being discipled. That's our mission. But that's not the reason to witness, to fill up the church, to pump up the offerings. To have more resources in the choir or in the orchestra or uh, children's workers or anything like that. Well, I hope that happens too, but that's not the reason. Some people might say, well, I want people to get saved because I need some friends. I need some people my age. I hope you get some, but that's not the reason. There's only one reason to witness for Christ. This has to be the primary thing to glorify the Lord in a world where he is being profaned. 
And every time you pray for somebody to be saved, you are doing what David did, exalting the Lord in the midst of the battle. And every time you tell somebody about Jesus, every time you hand a tract out, every time you make an attempt, sometimes you don't get the opportunity, but you make the attempt, and you're praying and you're looking for it, you are living for the glory of God of God because I guarantee you this one thing if you are intentionally going through your day looking for opportunities to witness you're probably not going to be drunk you're probably not going to be high you're probably not going to be looking at pornography you're probably not going to be looking for a prostitute you're probably not going to be cussing you're probably not going to be bad-mouthing somebody you see what I mean because you got your eyes and your heart focused on Christ being an ambassador for Christ and if we could get people, all of us, just to intentionally focus on being a witness for Christ, we wouldn't lose our temper near as much. Things wouldn't frustrate us near as much because we would realize these are all just side issues. My goal is to be an ambassador for Christ and to represent Him. So, you got a piece of paper. And uh, on that piece of paper, I want you to think about people that you are concerned about. And if you don't have anybody, maybe you ought to pray about that. Lord, why am I not concerned? Because you know lost people. And you can write them down. There's, uh, you, know, you may have more than one. You may have ten. You may have one or two that you focus in on. It may be family members. You know, a good part of my prayer every day is uh, concerned with uh, ten grandchildren. A couple of them have made professions of faith, and I pray that that's a genuine thing and pray that they're protected and pray that they grow and that means we've got eight of them that that haven't well i pray for them that bothers me it's a wicked world we live in i want them to bring glory and honor to the lord and so i pray that god by his power will save them so my list might be a little longer than yours and there are some other people that i think about too you know some other that are in there and then i want you to think about what is it that you're praying for them about is it salvation you may have somebody on your heart that uh, maybe the truth is they're saved, but they're not living right right now. They're not growing in the Lord right now, and that's perfectly legit. Put their name down there and pray for them. There may be a physical need that they have. It may be somebody that needs a job. It may be somebody that is sick. It may be somebody that just is not getting well. It may be somebody that's coming near the end of their life. Put them down. Put them down and put that reason down. And then I want you to uh, think of scriptures that come to your mind. You know a lot of scripture. Think about scriptures that come to mind that you can claim and scripture that would apply to that, that would kind of give you the reason why you are praying for them and why you pray what you pray. Sometimes we just pray cliches. Don't pray cliches. Get, get yourself a scripture that you're going to uh, pray for them. When I pray for my grandchildren, I pray Luke 2.52 about Jesus and he grew in wisdom and in stature favor with God and favor with man and I pray for those four things for each one of them okay I figure if it's good enough for Jesus it's good enough for Micaiah and Easton and Maverick and the rest of them right so have some scripture and then the last thing on there is so what are you going to do you're just going to pray from a distance and you know lob artillery over you know wherever they are or can you be up close and personal with them to show them love? Is there some practical thing you could do? Could you invite them to lunch? Could you take a meal over to them? Could you 
buy them a tank of gas? Could you? I mean, whatever it might be and whatever they uh, might need, depending on their age and their situation in life, what could you do practically? Maybe it's giving them a phone call once a week or something like that. I want you to think about those things. So think about the people and think about the uh, situation that they're in and then think about the scriptures that are there and then think about a practical way that you can uh, try to meet them and stay involved in their life. Okay? So let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes together and then uh, go to work on that. Okay? Father, we come tonight because we kind of feel like Isaiah. Here am I, send me. And we want an assignment. We want people to burden our hearts. We want to know what the Word of God says about them. We want to know how to put it into operation in a practical way. And so uh, that's what we're asking you to do tonight. Don't let us be just simply apathetic. Don't let us leave it to somebody else. Let us take up the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And these people we're burdened about have a lot of strongholds, a stronghold of falsehood and false doctrine and lies and perversion in their life. And there's only one thing that will pull it down, and that is truth. May we be armed with truth, armed with the gospel, and may we not be jerks about all of this, but may we really pray to the Lord of the harvest that you would send forth laborers. We don't care if we lead them to the Lord or someone else does. We just want to see them saved. And so, Father, we lay this all before you. We want to be better servants. We want to be more faithful servants. And we thank you for all of this time that we have had together tonight. And we pray your blessing upon this, that we might be fruitful in every good work. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.